100th episode Saturday, y'all. I am sports mental health empowerment coach and couple marriage and family therapist, Dr. Lauren Pitts. I got all this. I'm surrounded by Dallas Cowboy fan testosterone today, Ronnie. <laughs> good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome, welcome back to House Talk pregame. Would you say your phone? You went out for a second. I did not. You did not. For you. You, did. <laughs> you lost so many. I did not. Good. So, I said you're outnumbered. That's what I said. It's, it's all good. It's all good. Welcome back, everybody. It's wonderful to be back. It's our 100th episode of House Talk pregame. Dr. Piss, I can't believe we've made it 100 episodes. If you yeah. if you told me, I, and, it's, and it's funny kind of this full circle moment that we have you know we have two special guests on here today Dr. Mark Allen and, and Dr. Brian Maiden and it's kind of a, a funny full circle moment when Dr. Maiden had reached out to me in August of 2019 to uh join him for a podcast um the summer madness series yeah and we our sports and mental health back then I never would have thought that a a year later we would have created house talk pregame and here we are two years later celebrating our 100th episode with Dr. Brian Maiden. So, you know, kind of a full circle moment. Thank both of you all for being on here today. Um, yeah. Our other guest uh, who was on here last week, Zinsu, yeah. um, is not able to join us this morning. He has some um, some health uh, complications that he's tending to. So we're going to send all our condolences and well wishes to him this morning for a speedy recovery that he can, you know, yeah. hopefully join us for one of our uh, future shows up soon. But our well wishes out for Zinsu today. Hope he has a speedy recovery. Mm -hmm. But we have an amazing, amazing show lined up today for our episode. Um, even though we have an extra Cowboys fan on here today, you know, we're not going to let it rain on our parade. We're going to make it do what it got to do. You know, we're going to celebrate a victory on here today, even though victories are not very common for them. It's all good. I can't so, even stick my middle finger up at you on air because it would be inappropriate. But in, in, in spirit, I'm sticking my middle finger up at you. So y'all forgive me. Pray for me. Go ahead, go ahead. Man, so we have a great topic lined up today. We're talking about, of, of all things that Dr. Piss is alluding to, anger. You know, when we think about sports, you know, you always hear people talk about, you know, how athletes have to, you know, play with a controlled anger and a controlled rage and things like that. But what happens when an uh, athlete cannot control their anger? We've often seen so many times in either football, basketball, things like that, when, when tempers flare and things like that, you know, the heat of the moment. Sometimes an athlete, when they make the battle about them and the other person, they lose sight of the actual battle of, you know, winning the game and being a team. So what happens when athletes really lose control over their anger and, and, and really don't show that emotional regulation? We're going to be talking about how athletes can better work on emotional regulation <clears throat> and also, you know, use that anger for something positive in a sport and in their game and everything like that. And we have two great uh, co-hosts with here, Dr. Mark Allen and Dr. Brian Maiden, uh, that's going to be sharing some tips that they've used in their personal lives as former athletes and also what they do in their practices today to help people with their anger and other emotional regulation skills and everything like that. So we got a super packed lineup for you all today. Um, Dr. Pitts, I know you have a mental health tip of the week. Um, so whenever you're ready to share that, by all means, take it away. All right. So before I do that, I just I think that it's really important to just acknowledge real quick how we got here. Right. So I just wanted to take a minute to sort of pay honor to those individuals that were instrumental in the birth of House Talk pregame. So special thanks out first and foremost to Dr. Brian May. So I was so glad that he was able to join us today because he was with me back when House Talk was just House Talk and 
the reason why Ronnie and I go together now <laughs> and have been going together now is because of Dr. Main. So, sir, I, I couldn't have done it without you. I really, really, truly could not have done this without you. Ronnie, you're, you're my ride or die, man. People love our banter. They, you know, he's my surrogate son. And it's just, there, there is not a better fit for this partnership than Ronnie Ransom Jr. and, and Dr. Pitts. It's like, HT is Ronnie, right? Um, Jared Johnston, who was with us last season, he was on, he did the darn thing and, and he's moved on to, to bigger things and so happy for him. Ted Wright III, we cannot forget to really thank the Heritage Sports Radio Network family, Thomas Hill, Omar Basir, Lamont Germany, Gary Lang, and Ryan Marshall for the additional visibility that they gave us through Sirius XM, and they are the largest radio station for historically Black colleges and universities, so definitely thank them. Um, and then some behind-the-scenes credit I want to give to Kim Williams from Kim Williams Graphic Design in Winnipeg, Manitoba, uh, Canada. She handled all of our marketing stuff in the very, very beginning of HT. Um, Carrie Barnett and Barnett Marketing LLC in Edison, New Jersey handles all of our marketing and promotional stuff now in collaboration with Amanda Willis and Amanda Willis Photography out of Cliffwood, New Jersey. D Nabor uh, Godoy, who handles all of our photography and making sure that Ronnie and I really look good. <laughs> when, when, we're, when we don't necessarily feel like we're looking good. Um, and then we really have to give credit to the guests that we've had over these past episodes and just too many to name, but some notable ones. Juan Moylan, Chris Laura, Savannah Diarazio, Sanika Street, Coach Ronnie Caney, Virginia State University head football coach, Henry Frazier, Coach Carla Debro, Coach Damian Powell, Maggie Gelson, James Starks from the Denver Broncos, uh, excuse me, not Denver Broncos, Green Bay Packers, um, <laughs> and many, 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 many more. Um, real quick, House Talk, because without House Talk in its original that started almost five years ago, there would not have been the concept of that House Talk pregame. Again, Dr. Brian Maiden, Shelly Burgess, Deborah Davis, Ted Wright, Dr. Gregory Williams, Alan Garlick, Regina Peterson, Carol and Peterson, they were all in times that I wasn't able to be present, they held it down and, and hosted the show for me over several weeks because I had so many things going on with my physical health and what have you. Man, oh man, it has been a journey. It has been a journey. And, you know, just to think like, you know, um, me and uh, Dr. Allen were talking yesterday, and, you know, just to, to be able to create a show and be able to make it to 100 episodes, you know, despite, you know, we both work, you know, full-time jobs, multiple mm -hmm. jobs. Know, just the workload we deal with on a day in and day out basis, you know, and then having time to really create this platform to yeah. give a voice and to let our student athletes be heard. You know, yeah. we've talked about this before. Not a lot of people are doing what we're doing. Not a lot of people are having the conversations we're having. Yeah. And it's important to have these conversations because our athletes matter. Their voices matter. Their mental health matters. And so to be able to have this platform and create a platform for all the student athletes, the coaches, the parents, the families, their support systems, to be able to come and share their stories, share their testimonies, in hopes that, you know, whoever is listening may not have to go through that alone and let the people know that, you know, there are people out here who have been through what you're going through or going through what you're going through right now. So you can walk alongside them on, you know, alongside this healing journey of whether it's, you know, transitioning from sports or, you know, transitioning 
transitioning from high school to college, college to professional levels, whatever the case may be, you know, transferring schools, dealing with new coaches. We've talked about a multitude of things related to student athletes in the last hundred episodes. And, you know, just the feedback we've gotten from, you know, a lot of our listeners and, and other guests that have been on the show and whatnot, it, we've talked about it all the time. We don't do this, you know, for monetary reasons. This is strictly a, a passion project that, you know, Dr. Pitts created five years ago, and I've been honored to be on it for the last two years. And, you know, this passion project has led, I've met so many people, made so many connections. I couldn't be thankful enough. You can't put a price tag on being able to do something like this week in and week out and to really meet new people, touch the people out there and really just, you know, provide some content that people can really take with them and really, you know, think about things, explore things, process things and reflect on maybe some things that they didn't even think about was even possible for them to do. So yes. it's just been an honor to be a part of something like this. And, you know, I'm, I'm super excited to see where the next hundred episodes go from here and how far we really take it. So, you know, thank you again, Dr. Piss, for giving me this opportunity. Thank you, Dr. Maiden, for, you know, even present, you know, even putting me in contact with uh, Dr. Piss and everything. Um, I can't thank both of you all enough for this opportunity and to be able to, you know, just share my story and share my testimony. I remember uh, uh, when I came on the episode, Dr. Maiden texted me like, bro, you're not going to say nothing. Like, you're just going to sit here. <laughs> like, and it's crazy because I, 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 you know, I was never a big platform speaker in the slightest. And to be 100 episodes in, you know, it, it's just helped me as, as, a, as a person to be able to, you know, reach people and talk to people in a way with confidence and things like that so you know thank you for this opportunity and you know we're gonna keep it rocking so well, Ronnie um I, I really felt like I had no choice you, you know how in school you know the kid who's the most active so Ronnie uh, for everyone else Ronnie was one of my students and he was finishing up his last semester and Ronnie had pretty much just kind of checked out and so Ronnie <laughs> would talk about everything in class so you know, the ideas were I need to distract this this man so he is more focused in school so I figured Dr. Pitts would just have him just talk it all out. So he come to class and he's focused. That didn't necessarily work, but I knew he would be a good fit for this and he has great ideas. So yeah, absolutely, I knew you'd be exceptional. Um, Dr. Pitts, thank you for inviting me for this 100th show. Um, you, know, you and I, I always say, you and I go back to the days where I had a shag, you know, early, early, early high school days, you know, when, um, when we first met. So just to see this program, I've seen the ups and downs of it. I've seen times where you're like, B, I, I, I don't know, I don't know. So the perseverance, and we talk about this with athletes as well, just the perseverance to reach 100 shows, as Ronnie says, just all, 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 all praises and props to you. B, I just did the math. It's 40 years. It was 40 years in September because, so you all, Dr. Maiden's a little bit older than me, but I met him the first day of school, my freshman year at Salem High School in Salem, New Jersey. 40 years, it was in September, since he and I have been friends and colleagues and he, he doesn't know it. And I, and I think I've shared this with him privately, but he's one of my mentors too, because professionally I have learned so much from him about counseling, about humanity, about, you know, sports. I was a crazy fan back then when he was playing basketball and they were elbowing him and well, hi, who we hit him? I was crazy, crazy, crazy. So yeah, it has been, oh my goodness. It's been a powerful, powerful journey. Well, look folks, I wanna go ahead and give you this mental health tip of the week and hopefully these two 
uh, mental health practitioners will also chime in too. So I just wanted to, to clarify something. So when you hear us talking about anger and we're talking about it within the context of emotional regulation, I wanna put it in its simplest form. Emotional regulation is, is your tolerance for frustration. That's all it is. It's your tolerance for frustration and how do you act <laughs> when your tolerance level has reached capacity. So when you hear somebody talking about, oh, they were emotionally dysregulated or Let's, let's put the hay down where it goes to get it. They snapping, they blacked out. I, I, I was gonna see that y'all. I was the blackout queen back in the day. Dr. Maiden can tell you about that offline. Tripping, going slap off, they were bugging or whatever the slang is today for somebody who's emotionally dysregulated. What it is, is it's showing that you have diminished or low capacity for frustration and you, you short circuit, you, you go off. Emotionally regulated means that you have self-control, you have self-discipline, or what I like to say, you've learned how to not be an emotional prostitute to the situations and circumstances that are going on in your life that are triggering you. And it took me many, 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 many years to, to be able to get there. I was 25 before I was like, okay, Judge David Shep was my encouragement to learn how to regulate these emotions. So when clients come to me all and say, Dr. Pitts, I just can't help it, I will submit. So, okay, we're not gonna say we can't help it because you can. If you don't have something chemically imbalanced in the brain that literally is impeding your ability to regulate your emotions, you have the ability to regulate your emotions. You have to choose to. And I am here to tell you that there were plenty of times throughout the course of my life that I made a conscious decision to go all the way off. I said, pack your bags. We ain't coming back for a while. You wanted me to go here? We gonna go. Let's, let's, let's stay a while. And I'm gonna show you what it looks like to have to interact with me when I'm off my rocker. So it's a choice, folks. And there are strategies that we're gonna share with you today that are gonna be instrumental in helping you to want to regulate your emotions so that you don't have to be the puppet or the emotional prostitute to those people who have your code. That's all I have, Ron. All right, thank you for sharing that. And when I when I think about emotional regulation, um, my coach in college, Coach Lachelle Scott, I never, I, oddly enough, we were getting ready to play Bowie. And, um, you know, Bowie's mascot is the Bulldog. And I never forget before the game, um, he was saying that, you know, if you're walking down the street and every yard has a dog in it, if you spend time throwing stones at every dog that barks at you, you'll never make it to the end of the street. Yeah. And, you know, I took that and it really resonated with me and it resonates with me to this day because a lot of the times when we think about emotional regulation and we think about anger and things like that, to your point, it, emotional regulation is the ability to sustain, you know, not being frustrated or losing your cool, you know, responding to a, you know, adverse, you know, stimuli and things like that. <clears throat> but, you know, it, it's, 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 a, a, it's a lesson that has to be learned, not just given. You know, I, when I would talk to clients about patience, you know, I always hear people say, you know, well, I pray for patience. Stop praying for patience. <laughs> That's the last thing you want to pray for. Patience is a skill that is learned, not given. And what I mean by that is when people say they want to, you know, be able to express patience and have patience for themselves and other people. Well, how does pay, what is what is what is triggering patience? Patience is triggered by chaos. Patience is triggered by disruption, by you know, things being out of whack, because when things are out of whack and when they're chaotic, if you respond with chaos, it's not like fighting fire with fire, it's adding more fuel to the fire. 
So when people talk about expressing patience and things like that, one of the things I always ask them to do is when you find yourself getting frustrated, you find yourself in a situation where maybe your anxiety, your anger is really rampant at that point, aggressively seek patience. Find mm-hmm. patience in yourself because in that moment, when you when you are triggered emotionally, you make an impulsive decision, you're not really thinking clearly. You're just going off whatever comes to your mind and you're just going off of that. Same thing, you know, with anger, during the middle of a football game. If I'm having banter with the other person on the other side and it gets personal, he says something personal about me or one of my family members, if I allow that to trigger me, if I respond to that stimuli and I give into it, I automatically know that my emotional regulation skills are going out the window. Because at that point, I'm choosing to respond to something that I know was sent to me as a test. And a lot of times I always tell people, you know, you get tested in, in a multitude of ways day in and day out. And, you know, whatever, you know, whatever spirit you believe in, you know, Jesus, whatever the case may be, that's a test. And it's testing to really see like what you ask for. You know, I said, man, God, I've asked for patience. Please let me get through this situation. Please don't let me snap on nobody or go off. Son, I keep giving you the test. You keep failing you know, I'm not going to keep giving you tests over and over again and keep trying to pass it if you don't want to stop and listen. So I'm glad you said that. And, you know, I'm going to stop talking and pass it on to these two gentlemen to add some add some uh, tips to that as well. So, uh, Dr. Allen, you can go first. Take it away. Yeah, sure. So th- thanks, Ronnie. And well, so I want to start over. Uh, Dr. Pitts, thank you again very much for having me on the show, you and Ronnie and Dr. May, nice to meet you. Um, it, it's really a testament to how relatable this show is for it to have had such persistence, as you mentioned, for 100 shows. That's a lot of work. That's, that's really cool. So keep, keep it up. And I'm, I'm honored to be here today. Um, so it, a little bit about me. So I'm a sports psychiatrist in, in Denver. Um, I have kind of worked at many different areas of the mental health field. I trained in child and adolescent psychiatry, and then over the past year and a half, have, have done a little bit of additional training in, in uh, sports-related mental health work, which is obviously a burgeoning field. Um, and I think it's just super important because culturally, athletes tend to be ones that are being are taught from an early age to be quote mentally tough and to not really talk about their feelings. And unfortunately, that's that can get in the way and that can affect performance as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, over the years, uh, the, the field of sports psychology had kind of steered towards really dealing more with performance rather than the underlying mental health issues that may be going on. So I think it's, it's nice that we're starting to come around to realizing that maybe mental health is, uh, was the missing element of sports medicine all along. And we're going to see, see a, lot, a lot more, uh, actually mentally tough uh, athletes because they're actually able to, to recognize what's going on. As far as the topic at hand goes, uh, you know, with, with anger and managing emotions, the, having a range of emotions during a game, during practice, all that stuff is normal, but you have to actually recognize it in the moment and know how to like, how to compartmentalize it. There's two excellent texts that, I, that I've read over the past, you know, many years, but one of them is, is called uh, Finding Your Zone by Dr. <laughs> Mike Larden, and another one's called Zen Golf which is, is technically golf-centric, but it's really more of like a Buddhist mentality related to sports uh, by Dr. Joseph Parent. And those provide really good practical solutions to dealing with emotions when they flare up, uh, learning how to ride the wave of emotions, basically, metaphorically speaking, learn how to surf um, right. or diving under the wave and then catching the next one. Mm. Um, so with, with the idea of like anger, 
and, and, and I think Dr. Larden had a really good comment uh, in his book was think of it as a burning coal. You can have it in your hand, but you got to drop it. So it, it, the longer you hold on to it, the, the worse it's, it's going to be for you. Um, and if, if you're able to sort of separate yourself from those emotions or from your thoughts, you can actually channel it in a, in a healthier way and kind of redirect it to actually create focus because uh, uh, angry athletes don't perform well. Um, they don't. <laughs> I'll, I'll pause. <laughs> but that, that's my, my thoughts initially. Thank, thank you for sharing that, Dr. Allen. Dr. Allen, and I, I thought about that when, when Dr. Pitts reached out to me to do this show. Angry, angry athletes, are, are they are they unsuccessful? And, and that was a thought in my head. Are they always unsuccessful? Which athletes that are known as being angry end up being really successful? Michael Jordan is one who came to mind, right? Yeah, he Kobe. created conflict in his head that was fake. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Kobe can go either way. Kobe can either take over a game or take you out of a game because he's so focused on, I'm going to get this person. Yep. Right? So bronze game six against Boston. Exactly. Exactly. And, and then Tiger I, Woods. <laughs> oh, oh, absolutely. Jo, um, John McEnroe was the one was one of the ones who I thought about. Like when when Johnny Mac got upset, it was over. Like I'm a big Bjorn Borg fan. And whenever Johnny Mac get upset, like, oh man, he's he's gonna start crushing. For some people, it works. And I, I would say, without looking at any statistics, the the minority for the majority of us. It, like you said, that, that coal was a good uh, example. You know, for that short term, it might give us that boost. Mm -hmm. but it ends up draining our energy is, is what it does. So, you know, I, I looked at it from that perspective. And for athletes, we can be very superstitious or we follow certain patterns. So if we feel like, well, this anger got me to this level. You know, Ray John Rondo is one who they say he doesn't like being told what to do. But in his head, and he said this, well, it got me to this professional level. So why would I change anything? So many right. times the, it's the act of convincing them to let that part of what got them there go. And that's always the, often the biggest challenge. We realize this worked for you up to this point, but it's causing issues with your teammates. You know, Draymond Green cost um, the Warriors a championship against Cleveland because he couldn't maintain it. Control. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. Don't uh, do that. Don't. <laughs> don't do that. They had six and seven. They had two more games to come back in. Don't and, do that. I and, get what. And, and he got suspended and, and all of that. So we'll, we'll 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 circle back. And these are the arguments that we would have in class. We're sitting here talking about counseling stuff, and he's he's putting <laughs> other stuff in. So yeah, and that's why I love Ronnie. Um, <laughs> So yeah, that's 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 my general energy on that starting out. Yeah, yeah. the I did I did do um, Dr. Mayhalen with the research right, and I was actually looking to see if I could find any report on present college athletes who have um, who have that mark of not being able to control their anger, and I wasn't able to find any. But what came up was what Dr. Allen referenced and. Meadow World Peace was the number one athlete listed. Tiger Woods was on there. Serena Williams was on there. John McEnroe was on there. But Meadow World Peace was the number one athlete who had the, 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 the golden 
trophy for not being able to control his anger. And, you know, Antonio Brown comes to mind and, and some of the others that we see going on, particularly in professional sports right now. But one of the things that I want to point out, and I, and I want to get your, each of your positions on it, you know, we talk oftentimes that as a couple marriage and family therapist, everything that I do clinically is through a systemic lens, right? And within that, I'm looking at family system theory. Like these, these athletes didn't just go to college or didn't just go into the pros and just miraculously became angry one day. It's been with them over time. So it makes me question what's going on in the family system. And because what we know to be true is that in some family systems, anger is a way of life. In some family systems, anger is seen as a more acceptable way to resolve conflict. Anger is the smoke and mirrors, if you will. It's the protective factor and the defense mechanism that's put in place that keeps people masked from showing what their real, what I call the authentic raw emotions are that they don't want to put their finger on the pulse of. I've had, I just had a client tell me yesterday, Dr. Pitts, I don't know how to articulate what I'm feeling. He can say I'm angry. He can say I'm mad. He can say that, you know, I'm going to black out, but to take that deep dive off the deep end of, you know, into the deep end of the emotional pool, people really struggle with that. And I'm curious to hear from an athletic perspective, what role do you all think the family system plays in how these athletes are able or not to control their anger? Um, so I, I'll answer real quick and then I'll let, uh, let these two gentlemen go. Um, and as y'all were talking, I also wanted to kind of throw in something too, and I think we'll definitely get to it as well. Um, understanding the difference between anger and competitiveness, that competitive fire. Because I think a lot of times, you know, being competitive can come off as being, you know, angry and aggressive. Um, and, and to your point, Dr. Pitts, about, you know, anger, you know, being kind of like a, a secondhand emotion, you know, I always, you know, one of the things I like to talk with people about is really understanding what our emotions are telling us. You know, oftentimes we get, you know, like anger, depression, sadness, they get a bad rep and they kind of get a negative, you know, stereotype to them because they're, they're not so good feelings. Nobody wants to feel angry all the time. Nobody wants to feel sad or, you know, depressed and things like that all the time. They're not good feelings to have all the time. But anger, particularly, like you said, anger is telling us something specific. And, you know, oftentimes we don't necessarily want to address the why somebody's angry. And, you know, one of the things I've thought about and what I try to, you know, uh, break down to people is understanding, for me, I, I've discovered maybe three root causes of anger. First one is anger can be triggered from a place of being hurt, you know, physically or emotionally. Anger can be triggered by, you know, feeling threatened or not feeling safe or secure around somebody or a certain event. Or anger can be, you know, triggered by being disrespected verbally or physically, you know, Whichever one of those three, and I'm pretty sure there's other ones that can trigger anger. You know, I haven't come across them yet, but those are one of the three main ones that I like to try to get people to understand where their anger originates from. But getting them to understand that why is really important. How does the family system play into that? I think it really just depends on where you come from, because if you come from a family of athletes, let's say, you, you know, you have a, a mother and father or, you know, brothers and sisters before you who are athletic and things like that. Sometimes that, once again, I think, you know, that that competitive nature, you know, oftentimes, you know, 
Tom Brady, for example, you know, Tom Brady gets lauded for his competitive fire, you know, psycho Tom is what they call him and things like that. When you see him on the sidelines, he gets pissed off and angry at a lineman or a wide receiver. He goes into psycho Tom mode, that competitive fire. We can understand as athletes that competitive fire, but sometimes how it's projected or how it comes out is anger, you know. And if you can't communicate that in a way for somebody receiving that, if you grow up in a family where everybody has this competitive fire and in that moment it's about winning, we know that when you get competitive, like Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, LeBron, all these hyper successful, hyper successful athletes, they all rely on that being able to tap into that anger and channel it to where that can come out as a competitive fire. But what happens when you have that sore loser? That person who that competitive fire comes out into, you know, being a spiteful loser you know, whether it's name calling or being, you know, physically aggressive because they lost or something like that. We see that sometimes in families that, you know, often for me, I'm a competitor no matter what it is, whether it's sports, um, you know, if, if it was, you know, something like trying to, you know, clean up whatever the case would be, I can make anything into a competition if I want to, except for getting schoolwork done on time. You know, that was kind of like, you know, if I got it in, you know, hey, if you win by one point, you win by 30, a win is a win, you know, so sometimes you got to just take it where you can get it. But you know, sometimes when that competitive fire isn't emotionally regulated in the right way, you can kind of separate from that. It can come out in a negative way. So when you're raised in a family sometimes who has, you know, people who are very competitive, but also sore losers in the same in the same sense, what happens is sometimes we see athletes get conditioned to think that, oh, well, if it's not going my way or if it's not going exactly how I want it to or this person not doing what I need them to do, I can't control my anger. I have to either, you know, yell at you, get mad at you or something like that to try and get you back to where I need you to be. And as once again, Dr. Maiden made a great point, just because an athlete can use their competitive fire in you know, the high school leagues or, you know, college and whatever, once you get to a certain level, yes, can it work for you in some aspects? Yes. But eventually, if your style is more about you and your self-preservance and self-preservation of being an athlete and having to get something done and it doesn't mesh with the team, you might be an outcast. You might, you know. It's unfortunate in RIP to Kobe, but let, you know, but let's be real for a second. His mamba mentality was not received well by a lot of people in the league. A lot of the times he isolated himself because of his competitive fire, because of his anger. That was, you know, what, one of the big risks between him and Shaq, you know, he felt like Shaq didn't put enough effort into the preparation for a game and stuff like that, you know? So a lot of the times that competitive fire and that anger alienated himself from a lot of other teammates and things like that. And if for people who haven't had a chance to watch the uh, USA Olympic documentary, that was one of the really things that kind of saved his reputation in the league was being able to go play with Team USA and really show that he could be a teammate around others despite having that competitive fire. And in that in that instance, he used this competitive fire to be the best defensive player on that uh, on that team to help the team win. It wasn't about him being in that about about it all just being about him, but that was something he had to learn. And sometimes, you know, some people don't learn that lesson. Rajon Rondo, for example, hell of an athlete. But we've seen how many times his competitive fire and anger has gotten him, you know, he's played for damn near every team in the NBA almost. So, um, Dr. Allen, Dr. Uh, Maiden, uh, please share your perspective as well. Well, uh, it's very interesting. The, the issue is, uh, like a lot of mental health symptoms that, are, that occur commonly for an individual, anger, if, if you start to identify it and you think of yourself as an angry person, that's not, that's not good. You need to separate it. Realize that you're actually maybe a person who struggles with managing anger versus the identity as an angry person. I mean, there's mm -hmm. a very separate separate piece there. Um, I, I happen to work in the in the field of of eating disorders as well. Thinking of, of when you don't 
you need to separate the illness from the person in order to treat it. You might get very angry at someone for not wanting to eat, but it's really the eating disorder that doesn't want to eat. It's not the person. I can assure you they have better things to do with their own time. Um, but but back back to the world of sports, if, if it becomes repetitive and you, mm -hmm. and you realize that you're struggling with that anger, then it, then it can get this like ruminating like thought loop. And imagine if you start telling yourself those thoughts or they're in your head and you can't control them. It's like having a like an evil caddy that you're working with. Right. Wouldn't you want to fire that guy if he keeps giving you bad info and, and telling you that you're terrible at your job? That, if it's coming from you, then get rid of him. Uh, and then you'll play better. Right. Okay. Dr. Allen, that's, that's a great point. And it, it led me to think about all the people we're talking about. We're talking about these superstar athletes. And that's a small minority of athletes. So those athletes who may have challenges with regulating their anger, people aren't gonna to tolerate that. I mean, you have to be really good if we be like, okay, well, do we really wanna deal with this? Well, yeah, he's gonna lead us to a championship. If, mm -hmm. if you're not leading us to a championship, you know- Tolerance, absolutely. You know, you, you're done. The family system is huge in this. You know, when I first started counseling, um, before I even went and got my, my degrees, I was an anger management counselor um, for City of Alexandria um, for, for men who committed domestic violence offenses. So it was a diversionary program. And so many of them were former athletes and they would talk about how they just weren't able to control that rage. And when we would get deeper down into it, they'd talk about the things that they saw growing up. They'd talk about how their father or their uncle or, or somebody else they were close to, they saw those behaviors and to them, it was normal. I get upset, I lash out, I apologize sometimes, but then I repeat that pattern again. Right. So those, they just create grooves in our brain. We fall into that. I get upset, this is my trigger, this is how I lash out. So often we will see athletes, you know, uh, uh, a video of an athlete just totally going off. You're like, well, what is wrong with this person? Why are they doing this? And, and Draymond's a good example. You know, Draymond talks about he knows when to cross the line or when he's about to cross the line. And it's that ability to regulate that emotion that he thinks he's doing it. The rest of us really don't think he is. <laughs> he's really not, bro. You know, he's punching teammates in the, in the face and things like that. So if he wasn't that talented. And, and, and we see, and we see right now, his talent is starting to wane, you know, especially it's not like when, you know, the finals you were referencing back in 2015, you know, where, you know, at that point, I think in, in, in game seven of that uh, series, I think he dropped 32 that game. Oh, he did. Ever see Draymond drop 32 points in an NBA game the rest of his career, you know, he just doesn't have that. And you made a great point about talents versus tolerance. And to your point, we also, another thing that can also trigger anger too is anxiety. Mm -hmm. Think about how many, to your point, superstar athletes are far and few between, you know, on rosters and everything. Maybe one person on, on each roster might be what you consider a superstar talent, but for everybody else. And think about, to your point, the family systems of it where you have athletes who are supposed to be the godsend for their family. You know, everybody, all these adults are rallying around this student athlete to be their savior, to be the person to mm -hmm. make it. Everybody else can relax, retire, and not have to continue to struggle like they have their entire adult life. Well, imagine that pressure on a student athlete who recognizes that their family is leaning on them to provide for them and things like that. We see all the time before NIL became a thing in college, how many of these uh, kids were going to school simply because the school was like, hey, 
we understand, you know, at home, you know, mom working two, three jobs, you know, house broken and everything. Look, we'll slide you, you know, we'll slide you a couple funds, you know, under the table. You go on, commit to us and everything. We'll take care of you. And you, and you know, a lot for me, you know, I was a mama's boy and everything like that. And one of the things I recognized when I was in high school was, is, you know, my parents aren't going to be able to pay for college for me. Like they're just not. And so I added that extra pressure and stress on me to make sure that I got a full ride to go into college because I didn't want to have to worry about that. But that process of getting that full ride, I tell people all the time, you know, on film, you know, I was D1 talent, but, you know, for the size of position I played, I didn't fit the cookie cutter mold. And, you know, when you're a 16, 17 year old kid and you got grown men telling you like, hey, yeah, you know, you're great and everything, but you're just not big enough for our program. We can't take you. And you're over here like, I want to play college football. I need a full ride, but y'all keep telling me no. You automatically have that instant, you know, pressure, that instant anxiety, and that come out. And you know, I always tell people, I never played football angry. I just, I didn't, I couldn't, I couldn't go out there. And I used to hear people all the time go out there and play angry, play with aggression, and play with you know. And I would just be like, okay, I'll try. You know, I, I never forget in like little league in high school, I would try to like be angry before a game. And I spent more mental and physical energy trying to do something that I knew I didn't need to do. Now, if a coach got on me or something like that or told me focus or whatever, boom, you know, tunnel vision, I got you. But for me, I couldn't play with anger. When I got angry at somebody, it wasn't no more about the game. It was about just whooping your ass. Like, I wanted to put you on your butt every play the rest of the game because you've pissed me off. Damn if we win the game or not, you've pissed me off. And when you get, I never, my sophomore year in high school, it was homecoming. We were playing Hopewell. And after the first quarter, I mean, we were just dog washing them. It was 28 nothing after the first quarter. And I'll never forget it. The dude I was going against, I was just, I mean, it was, it was one of them highlight tape games where, you know, you tell the person who uh, recording y'all, hey, look, I got old boy tonight. Make sure you get this on film. I'm going to need this for colleges. And I was just killing him. And I never forget it. I was one play was a, a, a block, a run play blocked him like 10 yards down the field and he made a comment he was like you know you be and I was like huh what'd you say instantly my mind was away from the game he pushed me I pushed him back next thing I know we tussling on the ground fighting and whatnot I'm suspended the rest of the season a moment of a lapse of judgment a moment of oh you call me a b show me I'm a b prove to me I'm a b I've been being you all over this field all night show me I'm a b cost me the rest of my season and almost cost me my high school career, you know, because I couldn't control my emotions in that one moment. And so, you know, that's a hard lesson to learn for a lot of people. I, I had teammates who come from broken homes, come from situations where, once again, chaos was normal to them. Bad was normal. Good was not normal to them. So when they found a situation where a coach was yelling at them or saying something to them that triggered something that happened at home, I seen a player throw a helmet 15 yards away at our coach and barely miss him because he was angry. Because, you know, things that coach was saying to him triggered him because of things that happened at home. So, yeah, that can definitely have a correlation of, you know, what happens at home, how it translates to the field. So, go ahead, I'm sorry. I was going to say, is anger always bad, though? Because. No, it's not. Mm -mm. No, not at all. And I I think that's, you know, I think there's a fine line between anger and competitive fire, you know. To have a competitive fire as an athlete, especially the higher you go up, like there is some type of, you know, aggression that comes with that. Like, you know, I played I played on offensive line. 
that's not, you know, that's not, you know, a, a false position on any side of the imagination. Mm-hmm. You have another grown dude who's either bigger than you and stronger than you on the other side trying to put you on your butt and your mission is to put them on their butt. You have to have some type of fire in you, some type of, you know, mm-hmm. aggression in you to get that job specific job done. But mm-hmm. to play angry, is it always a bad thing? No, it's not. I've seen a lot of people who have, you know, gotten angry and they were able to channel that anger. And I mean, really just go to work on people. Ronnie, pause right there. Right there, right there, because I want to, and, and I'm not trying to cut you off the room, but okay. I, because you each made points that I want to illustrate and you just said it again. So I was like, I want to jump in so I can say it while it's fresh in my mind. It, you all know that I do research in all these different ways, but I don't know if you remember the movie Glory Road. It was a true story about the basketball team out of uh, here in Texas. And there were a couple of scenes in that movie where the center, the, he he had some serious anger management issues. And when it all came down to it, it went back to his family system and the culture that he was dealing with and racism and all of these other systemic things that were going on in his environment. But what coach told him was, I need you to harness that anger. And I, as coach, will let you know when to release it, because that's when it's going to serve us best. You take that further and it goes to what Dr. Allen, what you and Dr. Made alluded to when you talked about the voices in your head, right? Those narrative scripts. I tell my clients all the time that these narrative scripts that we have, these voices in our head that are telling us flip out, don't flip out, you, you know, anger's good, anger's bad. Those narrative scripts are formed from the spoken and non-spoken messages that we see throughout our life's journey. So in the case of athletes, the family system, how, you know, Ronnie, I remember there was a show where you were talking about you had a really bad game and your dad made you run a hill for hours screaming and yelling at you in what appeared to be an, an angry rage because he was so displeased with how you performed in that game. Mm-hmm. So th- there's the dots connect here, right? And how I believe how our athletes are interpreting whether or not anger is good or bad and how to demonstrate and use it is anchored in what they've learned, what they've learned from their family system, what they've learned from their cultural experiences, what they've learned from the coaches that have coached them, not just at the pro level or at the collegiate level, because I've seen little league players that are flipping smooth out and it's like, Oh dear. But then you see the parent up in the stand screaming mm-hmm. and yelling at the refs, screaming and yelling at the coaches, de- de- demeaning, belittling, degrading the kid, whether it's football, basketball, baseball, whatever the case may be. So we have to take a look at that and then bring that one step further. As you all were speaking, I was taking notes. I was thinking about Ray Rice. Well, we know that that his inability to control his anger cost him his NFL career. We look at um, just earlier this season, the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the New Orleans Saints game where those two players, the benches cleared, whole ejections from the game, the whole nine yards. Last year during a commander's game where the two players started fighting each other, the, the, the game, the HBCU game a couple of weeks ago, I don't know if it was Jackson and Alabama or who it was, but they got the, and I'm like, wait a minute, that's not competitive anger. <laughs> That's some systemic stuff going on that is not only the issue of the players, I believe that it's a culture in the athletic arena where 
coaches, trainers, owners, athletic directors, we've got multi-generations of folks that don't know how to effectively manage their anger. And to your point, Dr. Maiden, there's a lot of people that it's not serving well and it's costing them their careers, it's costing them their freedom, it's costing them their relationships, mm-hmm. and it's costing them their sense of self. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> we touched a lot of different things. I think we're really nailing of the biopsychosocial formulation of what of symptoms that can emerge. We're really hitting the social aspect. Biologically, I mean, there if you have clinically significant depressed mood, especially in adolescence, it can manifest as irritability and anger. Um, uh, you, you talked about anxiety and how that can come out as reactive anger. Think about a, the metaphor of a balloon. You can take it and take it and take it and take it and take it. If you don't let a little bit of that air out, it's going to pop. Yep. And then, and that, and then things can exactly what you're talking about, like Draymond Green earlier, then, then ruins a championship run. Um, I, you, you know, I, I think, well, I tried to collect my thoughts here a little bit, but um, I'll, I'll let Dr. Maiden take over here for a second. I had a couple of points I wanted to make. Yeah, your 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 balloon analogy, you know, just took me back to going back to when I was doing the anger management classes and we would get or attempt to get the participants to identify when they would reach that point. And they would mm-hmm. talk about they get that tunnel vision and all they see is that rage and that anger and consequences don't matter team doesn't matter, the wins don't matter, it is just, uh, and they, they, they say it just happened so fast I wasn't able to react. Right. What we try to do is introduce that mindfulness, and we weren't calling it mindfulness back then, but getting them to identify, okay, this is what I'm doing, this is um, how I can kind of pull it back, and you talked about that before, Dr. Allen, that emotional regulation. Get them to identify. I'm at that point where I'm I'm going to go over and I'm not going to be able to control it. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, go ahead. No, no, I was going to say so the grounding techniques or whatever you want to call it. There, there's so many different ways to refer to mindfulness. It's the same stuff. Um, the the the, uh, the current athlete that I think is doing a great job actually demonstrating it on the sideline and almost it's been memefied a little bit. It's Justin Fields. That dude started off his season mm-hmm. with a little rocky. And he does the most impressive focused breathing techniques and is paying off in spades now. I mean, the Bears look like a transformed team. That guy is showing the talent he had at Ohio State and now in the league. Uh, but right. but it's if, if you're getting angry and overwhelmed, you got to slow down. Mm-hmm. You figure out a way to ground yourself. And, and, and an easy way to do that before a game is to find a spot in the stadium, arena, field, whatever. And that's your spot. You want to stare and focus on it so long it becomes nearly boring and, and just vacant. And mm. when you're feeling those emotions, you bring your focus back to that spot. Uh, and, and, and it really can kind of snap you out of it a little bit so you can can channel it. Mm. I, I think that's a really great tip. Thank you for sharing that, Dr. Allen. You know, and, and a lot of times, you know, especially in, in the heat of a game, in the middle of a game, when something happens and it, and it pisses you off, it can really be extremely difficult to really bring yourself back in. And we hear coaches all the, especially when it comes to like positions like quarterbacks and stuff like that, what's one of the things they always tell quarterbacks to do? Have a short memory or even defensive backs have a very short memory because if you allow that, for example, if a DB gets, you know, beat, you know, beat deep or whatever and give up a touchdown, they can, 
if you want to, you can allow yourself to beat yourself up and be like, damn, I gave up that play. Now the rest of the game, if we lose, it's become, I gave up this easy touchdown and stuff like that. You can allow yourself to go down that hole, beat yourself up. And what happens is in turn, now you're just angry the rest of the game. And you're not even angry at the game. You're angry at yourself. And being angry at yourself, now you start sabotaging because you're not even focused on the task at hand. Being able to center yourself, whether it's through mindfulness, whether it's through deep breathing techniques or, or, or you know, finding a location in the stadium or on the sidelines or somebody you can, you know, really focus in on while you're, you know, collecting yourself. That's really important. And I'm glad you all shared that. Um, please share any other tips that you all have found that have been helpful for student athletes and stuff like that or athletes, you know, across all sports that can kind of help them have that regulation during a game. You know, especially after game, it's always easy to talk about what you could have done better and stuff like that. But we don't always, always talk about what can be done during a game. And Dr. Pitts, I know you, I see you ready to say something too. Yeah, I, I think that the, and you know, I, I confess you all know I was a cheerleader for a while and that's the extent of it. But I've, I, I feel like I've, I've, I feel like my history and my connection to athletes and having to deal with the emotional dysregulation after a loss <laughs> and, and being the parent of student athletes and being married to an athlete and coach and, and all of these things, you, you learn lessons the way you weren't learn lessons. Why not take a proactive approach? Why not, you know, why don't we have conversation with athletes around the importance of the, the ecosystem piece, helping them to learn how to identify the people, places, things, and situations that are triggering them, that are stressing them. Because you said something key, and I understand that there may be some gender differences at play as to how we're taught to manage anger. I know it certainly wasn't my family. My mom was mad that she had two daughters that were fighting all the time, but just saying, but, but here's the thing. You said you were that another player called you the B word. And I get it, men handle things differently. But I am, and you know, I am just of the persuasion that the best way to shut somebody up is to win. I, I just believe that. I believe that the best way to shut somebody up and to really, truly make somebody feel like a B in a situation like that is to just decimate them in the game, to just literally just annihilate them in the game and let them walk off the field or the court of the baseball diamond with their head held low because they just got embarrassed in competitive play. I, I think and that- do we talk smack? Huh? And then do we talk smack? And then you can only talk smack. Because okay. here's the thing, because let's, let's, let's look at it real, real quick in the instance of time before we, we, we run out. It, it goes back to what I said in the very beginning, right? If I know, that all I got to do is because because we know who the hothead players are. You already know there are people that have your code. And if they can pull you off your square to the point that you clear the darn bench and get ejected from the game. Guess who I ain't got to worry about no more because right. I know how to get you to be my. My female dog and react to me and you just got ejected from the game. Mm -hmm. I don't worry about you no more. And guess what? The team is now weaker because you're done behind us in the locker room. Mm. It you you I, I what I and, and and Dr. Maiden knows this. I learned it took me years. <laughs> Dr. Maiden said when we first connected, he said he said, Oh, you still have what people said. <laughs> True. When I learned, I'm telling you, when I developed mastery and putting these because I gave you these hands, when I learned mastery. 
of sitting on these hands and getting in here. Mm -hmm. And now I got these degrees that teach me how to get in here. Okay. What I say, my husband thinks it's hilarious because I say, I know how to make you hit me. <laughs> I know how to make you hit me. And then it's self-defense all day. I'm going to trash you. <laughs> that's, that's, I, I'm serious. That's, that was when I got to that place in space at 25 years of age where, okay, wait, I don't have to throw hands no more. Mm -hmm. I don't have to. All I have to do is be smarter. Mm. Well, which and, and, and what it sounds like you're also saying is you know, we always talk about how sports relates to life. You know, when I was a, a 15 year old kid and, you know, somebody called me the B word. Yeah. A 15 year old kid is probably going to respond. Well, show me I'm a B. But like you said, we know that, you know, physically the brain fully matures between 25 and 28, given gender, you know, all those other factors. But typically between 25 and 28, the brain is fully developed. You have your full range of, you know, knowledge of being aware of situations. And what you're basically saying is, you know, that as you develop that awareness about yourself, you know, uh, saying you can uh, street one of our guests on the uh, show a couple weeks ago made something that was really profound. And I think that can really tie into this topic as well. A principled person doesn't have to set boundaries. Boundary, I always tell people when we set boundaries, the boundaries are oftentimes never for the other person or the other thing It's for us because we've identified that this person or this thing that we have in our life still I have to put a boundary around it because it triggers me in a way that I haven't healed or addressed fully. But as a principled person, as a person who is self-aware about who I am, what I do and everything that encompasses that, I know that oftentimes when people express anger, when people express negative things, it's oftentimes a projection of their insecurities onto somebody else because that load is too heavy for them to bear. So essentially what I feel like you're saying is, is that as you develop those maturation skills and just physically develop, you learn that it's oftentimes not always about what the person is saying to you. It's how you perceive what they're saying and how you internalize that about yourself. Mm -hmm. So even in the game, one of the things, when I got to college, I didn't talk any trash during games. I didn't, you know, back talk anybody because I learned what, what you said. If we're winning, why do I need to waste my breath talking to you? Bro, we just won the game. You can say whatever you want. You can call me a B, talk about my mom or dad or whatever the case may be. Don't put your hands on me outside of this game. But as long as you don't put your hands on me, bro, you can talk whatever. We just won. I can't care less about what you got to say now or during the game because it's understanding who you are in that moment. Oftentimes when we have poor regulation skills centered around anger and stuff like that, it's because oftentimes when somebody projects their insecurities onto us, oftentimes we might identify with some of those insecurities they're projecting. So we respond to that projection. We're projecting our own insecurities onto everybody else. Mm -hmm. And we mask it with, oh, well, you know, that's how I just play. That's who I am. How many times do we hear adults say, well, that's just who I am. That's what I know. Mm -hmm. I always tell people, when you turn 18, you are the author and illustrator of your life, whether or not you've been given the pen and paper to do that. Because it is your responsibility to equip yourself with the tools and resources necessary to be the best version of yourself. I'm not saying you have to be a perfect person, but what I am saying is you have to reach a level of self-awareness to know that, yes, people do things and say things to us simply for the fact of just wanting to hurt us. We know hurt people go around and hurt people. But when you're a principled person, when you know who you are, whether you're a civilian, student athlete, professional athlete, whatever the case may be, when you know who you are, you have the emotional regulation skills to work through those situations and resist that temptation to act out of impulse, act out of emotion and things like that. And I think that is really crucial for all our athletes. Even if you're in high school, just because your brain isn't fully developed yet to handle those skills, doesn't mean you can't learn that then. And you should learn that in high school. You should learn that during your formative years and your teenage years because 
once again, when you're thrusting into adulthood at 18, you can't you can't sit back and, and blame your parents or your caregivers or your community and stuff like that. Well, well, y'all didn't prepare me good enough. Y'all didn't help me. Okay, two things can be true. They didn't help you prepare enough for adulthood, but that doesn't mean you can't prepare yourself for adulthood either. So what I want to do, in, because I know Dr. Maiden has to go in a hot minute, um, I just want to run down these anger warning signs real quick. And then what I would like to do is I'd like for Dr. Maiden and Dr. Allen to share their final thoughts, tips, um, insight for our listeners. Um, and then Ronnie, you can go into the, the pics. We'll go a couple of minutes over because I, I want to make sure Dr. Maiden goes. So folks, the anger warning signs, <laughs> your mind goes blank. Your body and your hands get to shaking. You have rapid breathing. You start hooping and hollering. We see it, folks going in on the refs and coaches. There was a game last week where somebody was yelling, like, are you yelling at the coach? What is going on right now? Um, you, you get to throw in tablets and throwing the, the, the water coolers and the, flipping the benches over, throwing your helmet across the field. Um, you're argumentative and combative. You get to pace it up and down the, the, the court or up and down the field. Um, you get to insulting your teammates and insulting your opponent. Um, you get to screaming obscenities. You're sweating more than just exertion from the game. Um, you start really getting more aggressive and taking the cheap shots. We've been seeing a lot of personal fouls called in the NFL over the past couple of weeks. You're clenching your fists. You start to feel hot. You shut down. That's the quiet before the real storm. You get headaches. Your face turns red. You get to throwing things. You're you hit the folks with the super grit. You start to feel like you want to throw up. You start acting out on a whole nother level. You start obsessively. You find yourself obsessively thinking about the damage that you're going to do to somebody that you feel has wronged you or crossed you or pissed you off in some way. Gentlemen, your final thoughts. Well, I'll hop in because I'll let Dr. May take the final word here. Uh, thanks again, guys, for having me on. This is really cool. Um, you know, ang anger and anxiety have lots in common. In fact, I think the topic today is a, is a great segue into the, the concept of the yips, which basically you get the brain brain fog comes on. There's something called analysis paralysis, where you, you, if you're thinking about too many things, you can't possibly focus on the, the motor activity that you're trying to achieve. Um, but the, the, the idea that total concentration is the ability to think about nothing that was in a famous quote by a guy named Ray Knight from the Mets years ago. You were, you're just able to clear the mechanism and, and just that's that that is the zone. Finding the zone is, is very, very difficult and it's fleeting, but trying to harness it is, is how you actually really focus on process and development of, of what you're doing so that when you're playing, you just you just you just let your instincts take over. Um, I, I think as far as how to manage anger in the moment. Focusing on your breathing is really important. If you can just just focus on the in and the out and the in and the out so that it, there's nothing else you could possibly be thinking that about if you're focused on one thing, just on your breathing, the core issue, and you can see it actually slowing as you're doing it. That would be an, an incredibly helpful thing. Uh, as I was saying, slowing, slowing down. And then finally, another thing besides the whole concept of, uh, of, of a hot coal is, is, is feeling the anger just drop on a leaf down onto a, a river stream and watching it run away. If you can do, if you can do that, then I, th I think in the moment, it's, it's, an, it's just all these metaphors are, are, are powerful. Like having, having the, you know, the, 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 the memory of a goldfish being water, uh, uh, like 
this 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 fleeting mindfulness attitude it, it all will really really helpful this, it depends on the athlete that you're speaking to thank yeah, you those are excellent excellent examples one of the things that that we often use I use visualization a lot picture yourself in the situation and we kind of walk through it how do you see how would you typically handle this what's another way you can handle this and then just kind of playing that out um, another thing that we've used is a thermometer you know, you say once you get that point of no return, what is that point? Is it when you hit 80? Can you see that eight? And then we get into, as Dr. Allen talked about, those breathing techniques. Inhale for four, hold for seven, exhale for eight, and just kind of repeat that pattern. And as you're doing that, it kind of melts away, you know? <laughs> Dr. Pitts, you talked about being proactive. One of the things that I love that we're doing in society now is we're making this social and emotional regulation a part of the curriculum, K through 12. My goodness. I mean, th th that we're focusing on this in school is absolutely amazing because I tell people all the time, think about it. If you are not feeling well, you don't wanna go to work and do work. And if you have kids in the K through 12 arena, they don't have this emo emotional regulation. They don't know, well, I'm feeling really bad. So I should go ahead and do the work anyway. No, they're checked out. We have to help student athletes. We have to help students be able to learn that skill set. It's a learned skill set. It truly is. I remember, and Ronnie, you were talking about people making um, making videos, and I remember looking at one of your videos when you played Morgan State. You made everybody look like a superstar there. You didn't get upset. You didn't get you know angry. You took you took a loss. I mean, those boys from Morgan just walked all over you. And you know you were fine with it. That's all I have. I had to get a shot. I had to get a Morgan State, Virginia State shot in. So that didn't really happen. I just wanted to mess with Ronnie on that. <laughs> hey, you know, hey. So I appreciate both of you all sharing those points and everything. But look, you know, I, I expect nothing less from Cowboys fans to try and take cheap shots because if they didn't try to have a cheap shot before the game and get somebody off the game, they probably won't win the game. So you know, but. I appreciate all of you all sharing your tips and everything. And I, and I hope the lessons that we talked about today, people, you know, athletes, parents of athletes, coaches and whatnot can take these things and really implement it into their programs, their communities and things like that. Because, you know, once again, anger is not a bad thing. Anger is simply an emotion that is telling us about something that's going on inside and outside of us at the same time. And if we can listen to that anger, process it, really sit with that emotion and understand why we're feeling this in that moment, we can better help channel that emotion and really put out something positive with it. Um, gentlemen, both please tell people how they can reach out to you, how they can reach out to your certain practices and stuff as we get ready to wrap up. Dr. Pitts, um, I did check the schedule since it's the championship week this week. There was only four HBCU games to uh, choose from. Um, okay. So what I'll do is I do have our uh, season totals that we'll recap next week. Um, he determined I'm wearing an Eagles jersey. I ain't doing it. I'm reneging. Go ahead. <laughs> but, but as we get ready to wrap up, please let the people know how they can reach out to you. Um, thank both of you all for coming on today to celebrate our 100th episode. Really, really appreciate both of you all for taking the time. So let the people know how they can reach out to you. So uh, again, thanks guys. So you can find me on LinkedIn uh, or you can find me on my website at peaksportspsychiatry.com. Uh, just, just like that sounds one word. Uh, or you can email me at peaksportspsychiatry.gmail.com. Thank you, thank you. And I am a coach and consultant with alchemyincoaching.com. 
alchemyincoaching.com. And I'm also a professor at Virginia State University. So you can always find me on that website. And if you really need me, Lauren or Ronnie can definitely uh, uh, find me. They, they always find me. He does. Just don't, just don't send no end picture of an end zone or a Super Bowl uh, trophy because they won't. <laughs> they can't find that, but they can but, find everything else. So once but, again, but, but again, my, my my last word is it, it truly is an honor, you know, to hang with y'all. I, I I love y'all so much, and to be on this 100th show is just I'm I'm truly touched. I appreciate it. And Dr. Allen, I appreciate you. Thanks for letting me hang out with you as well. Ditto. It was, this was really, really fun and I think very informative. Uh, it's such such a great service y'all are providing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's you know, it. Y'all are family. Y'all are welcome back. Any show. We're here to the end of June. So please hop on it whenever y'all feel like it. Once again, like Dr. Pitt said, that's it for today. Thank you all for tuning in for our 100th episode. We're looking forward to the next 100. Until next Saturday, y'all have a great day. Oh, 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 oh,